what the instinct book, for example, is really trying to speak to is the first real spiritual stage or real spiritual work that happens, the automatic world versus the sensitive inner world. And that this is what spirituality is about, getting really on the ground in terms of what the obstacle to spiritual sensitivity is, spiritual awakening or spiritual awareness is. It's not just, oh, here's some cool combinations that you might fit. It's like, this is the obstacle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the big hormone enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self-presidential with Fiveling 458 Trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres sexual 9 with 1974 Trifix. What up, it's Emika. I'm an 8-wing 7, sexual self-pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social 3-wing 4 with a If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. The original four crew are back after a long wandering in the desert away from each other. (laughs) Uh, We found each other once again. And um, this week we are talking instincts because I got an instinct book coming out tentatively thinking the official release will be September 30th. And I'm planning, trying to work up like ideas for workshops for people who buy the book and some kind of online goofy stuff and some other stuff. But um, for now, uh, we are going to just do an overview of the instincts and based on an article I wrote. But before we do that, we got some announcements. For those of you who've been keeping track of all the Michael teaching stuff that we did earlier this year, Shepard has had a workshop in the spring and he's having another workshop now for the fall so he's got a workshop called um beyond the michael teachings chart um so it's kind of like uh next level teaching about michael teachings so that's going to be happening september 11th to october the 2nd you can get more information on his website shepherdhoodwin.com forward events and he's got a, a zoom workshop which is level one happening also around the same time, September 12th to December 5th. Um, you can get more information on his website. Once again, shepherdhoodwind.com forward slash events. And also for those of you who've been wanting help trying to understand your Michael Teachings chart, if you ordered the Michael Teachings chart from Shepherd and you want some help interpreting it, we have an offering, which I'm the one who um, would be working with you on our website, anygrammar.com forward slash get type. You can order a session with me to go over your Michael Teachings chart. And because I'm an Enneagram expert, I will also help you understand how that uh, interplays with your Enneagram typing if you've been typed by us. So check out Shepard Hewins' website. You can check out Enneagrammer for uh, Michael Teachings interpretation help with me. Cool. I'm going to plug Alexandra's meme account, Angry Enneagram 9 on Instagram. It's hilarious and it's really well-informed and it gives a deeper perspective on type nine and she does a lot of interactive content. And um, it's fun to see, like she shows me a lot of the messages people send her of like, not only do they resonate a lot, but they're learning a lot about, um, you know, the, the parts of type nine that are usually ignored or neglected and, you know, all the kind of inner conflict and anger and pettiness and vanity and stuff like this. So it's really fun and funny. So 
check her out. But yes, getting ready for my upcoming book. I, as you guys know, if you listen to this podcast, I hate uh, almost all instinct descriptions that are out there. And I've been working on this book for many years. I thought it was going to be a quick thing because I was like, oh, I know the instincts. And <laughs> it ended up being years of writing and research and study. And so the book is like, you know, it's about the instinctual drives, like the sexual, social, and self-preservation and how they interact with type. But for me, uh, it's not just a book of descriptions. It's a book of inner work and how our essential nature and our instinctual nature uh, are related and how they fuck with each other. You know, from my point of view, the personality is nothing but an uh, organizational apparatus, so to speak, a psychological tool for dealing with our instinctual needs. Like it's just, it, the reason we have a personality is because it's, it's built on having instinct and negotiating instinctual needs with other social animals, other human beings. So it's this thing that we get identified with that makes it a problem. And, you know, there's so much instinct content out there that is really bad and it's, really doesn't make any sense why they pair with the Enneagram. And uh, for me, the reason that we pair instinct with the Enneagram is because we get psychologically identified with instinct. And so the reason my research and all this stuff took so long was because I needed to really understand what instinct was apart from the personality. And then what happens when we get it psychologically identified with it, how it impacts the emotional center, how it impacts the mental center, and how it impacts our relationship to essence. So um, to give people a little preview of like, like the whole book is, is kind of like, um, it's kind of like a, it's like a, it, it really is talking about the whole inner work process, but it's spending a lot of time on instinct and, and catching all the prison bars that uh, instinct creates for us. And so I wrote this little article on my website, johnlukovich.com slash articles. You can find, uh, it says 27 Enneagram type and instinctual type combinations. And so it's like a quick overview of just, oh, what's my little type, but it's, when you go into a reading it, uh, don't take it as like the final end all be all in your type, like have an idea of what your type is or how to, you know, and then these things are sort of help create more specificity around it. But I was not going to do these long things explaining type and instinct type co combination for each one. If that makes any sense. I mean, you know, that's what kind of people are going to are going to do with your book. It, yeah. Any sort of instinct book on the forums, they just copy and paste the short blurbs and that's what gets memed everywhere so yeah smart to you know get ahead of that yourself and because this is what people Making are going to correct information yeah absolutely yeah. so this will be on like my what's in the book is much longer than what i have on the articles and the articles are more digestible and readable and shareable and but yeah it's the, it's that kind of stuff so if you're listening and you belong to one of those terrible websites like a personality cafe or whatever <laughs> please spam this shit there and we want to get rid of the uh, the idea of a sunny self-pres for once and for all. Also, uh, one thing is about the article and that excerpt from the book. Uh, curious to know uh, what was your process there? Because everything I've seen from everybody who's read there is people that are accurately typed. Um, it's like really spot on accurate. So is it was it a lot of interviews with people? Uh, you know, of those types and those type combinations, or what was your process? Uh, that's a really good question. So, uh, you know, I've known the Enneagram for a while, so that I have a pretty good idea of a lot of people's types. And I, I think I know somebody of every combination, uh -huh. um, personally. But for me, it was 
there were some people I asked questions to and interviewed, but a lot of it was getting a really clear sense of the essential quality of the type and then getting a real clear sense of how the instinct works independent of type. And so then it was sort of like uh, kind of putting puzzle pieces together of what would it look like if I'm an eight that is looking for that like essential power and what is essential power? How do I recognize it? Not just conceptually, but like experientially. And then what does it mean if I think I can somehow extract my essential quality out of my dominant instinct? So if mm. I'm looking for essential power, like how do I mistakenly think I'm going to like milk the stone to get essence from self-preservation? Mm. And seeing that in action, I, had, I really had to focus on my type and how as a sexual four, I'm trying to get essential depth out of the sexual instinct and all the ways that that shows up and as we've been talking about a little bit with these like soul intercourse episodes and stuff like with relationship transitions I've been going through I mean this was before all these but it just showed me more deeply like the quality of suffering where you really uh you really think you're going to find God in your dominant instinct Mm -hmm. And so getting a, like a really clear sense of how survival and God and mother and all this other shit is like all locked in your dominant instinct. Um, that was my main process was how does, how is, in, how is essence going to be abstra- extracted, mistakenly extracted from dominant instinct? Interesting. Yeah. I remember you did uh, a shift workshop this is maybe a couple of years after we started talking on Facebook, you did a shift workshop where you, I think was the first time that I saw, saw you talk about essence and um, the instinct combinations, which really clarified, you know, when you talk to people about the Enneagram, how do you introduce the relationship between instinctual drives and Enneagram type? Mm-hmm. And to be able to connect, I think most people who have any experience with spirituality or um, know what essence is, even though they haven't really heard it too much with the Enneagram, you start to look at, okay, essence, and then personality type as a, re- as a replacement for essence, mm-hmm. and then to meet those needs through the instinctual drives. And that, as an introduction to the Enneagram, was such a clear way of looking at it um, to describe these type instinct combinations. And I think if you could explain all the different es- essential qualities and the instinctual drives, people can put those two together. They can sort of like start to make sense of it without seeing a description, which is what I liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because it's like, uh, you know, I don't have a very succinct way of saying anything. And I rely on you guys (laughs) to help me. (laughs) And so let me see if I can say this as succinctly. And maybe you guys can help me flesh out what I'm saying. But it's like all spiritual work, at least the beginning of spiritual work, like in Sufism, the first fana is working with our identification with the instinctual drive. So it's like, it's not just that, oh, like here's spirituality, and then it's useful to use this Enneagram type and instant combination to work with spirituality. It's like the contraction or inability to be conscious is about and focused on this identification with our animal self. And every fucking spiritual tradition that I'm aware of, is, they talk about this is the central thing or the central way that sleep happens. And so what the instinct book, for example, is really trying to speak to is the first real spiritual stage or real spiritual work that happens. Like I'm not talking fucking, you know, uh, samadhi or some other kind of like, you know, loss of self kind of overcoming eye kind of consciousness thing. I'm talking about like, 
the automatic world versus the sensitive inner world. And that this is what spirituality is about, getting really on the ground in terms of what the obstacle to spiritual sensitivity is, spiritual awakening or spiritual awareness is. And so it's like, it's not just, oh, here's some cool combinations that you might fit. It's like, this is the obstacle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I wrote something down, which I started repeating to people is that people are, we're looking for quality, I think that you've said, we're looking for qualities of essence through the, the needs of our instinctual, instinctual drives. And so if like, that is like, okay, power through the needs of the sexual drive, the attraction, the needs and approaches that you've got on there. It's like, that makes the personality structure really clear. Like this is what the personality structure is doing all the time. So yeah, my book spends a lot of time talking about what essence is and, and, and how it's like sort of divided up on the Enneagram and like what it means and how it's actually more common than like an experience than we recognize. We just don't, we're just not conscious of it as essence and how they're qualities of our being, meaning we don't do anything for them but how instinct is something that we do. It's, a, it's, a, it's an activity, it's a process, it's a search. And so we start to go for something that's subtle and more refined and a little, more, uh, little less concrete. And we try to look for it in our concrete experience. And so, yeah, it's like, as you said, there's a kind of, you can sort of think of it as an equation in a way to just see like how yeah. mechanical the, the personality is. Yeah, it's machine-like in a way. And almost the process then of conceptualizing and writing about it in some sense is equation-like in a way. Right. I think it's really impressive to put anything about the instinctual drive into words because for me, it's just kind of an experience. So to like read about it or listen to someone talk about it, it can be really, really helpful in, in pinpointing anything about it because I'm just like, oh, this feeling is fleeting and now it's gone. And like, it's a moment of awakeness. So to have anybody explain it slightly is honestly amazing to me. Yeah, finding vocabulary was pretty difficult because these are so uh, under your nose kind of things. And I think one of the greatest challenges I had was, again, being succinct, <laughs> you know, and, like, yeah. finding words. And, and like, uh, you know, you guys helped me a lot with that. And like friends, like my friend Julie Harris helped me a lot. Like, uh, there's some diagrams in the book. I have this whole thing about object relations and the development of instinct in early life and how we get identified and how, you know, it's like a very psychological thing. And anyway, she has some great diagrams. She helped me design and nice. Um, cool. I try to get like really concrete and really like trying to really show how totalizing our experience of instinct is like how it's everything. It's everywhere. And everything that you think is not is you is really just actually not you either. Mm-hmm. It's whole other worlds. It's realms, like in the Baba Chakra thing. You know, that's what they call right. that. Yeah. And I so, think one of the important things that you, you know, developed as you're writing this book with the needs and the approaches, because a lot of times when you're trying to write like descriptions for instincts, you know, people are, you kind of have to say, well, this person might be oriented to physical acid if someone's a self-pressed type they might be oriented to physical comfort and people might read that and be like i don't relate to that i don't orient right. to physical comfort but then you, when you start to look at like something like approaches then you can see how a certain approach can be applied to anything like right. i talked to i did a session today with a, a self-pressed nine and we were talking about that where he didn't relate to some of the self-pressed stuff that we had on our website but i 
pointed out, like he, as a self-pres nine, listens to the podcast and he'll listen to the same episode five times. And it's not even yeah. like he's paying attention it to it, mm-hmm. but he's sort of like self-soothing with yep. the same fucking, he'll do that with stories. And he was telling me how he, he'll listen to the same story over and over again and start like picking out his favorite parts of the story. I do that too. You know, like that's a self <laughs> thing. And there's a sort of a grounding and stability that self-pressed types might do with something abstract or intellectual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just looking at the different instincts in terms of um, their approaches instead of like what people do, because people are looking for descriptions to describe every part of them, but just to see the energy and where it's going might help people understand, okay, these instincts are different universes to themselves. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So what Emika is talking about for listeners is uh, part of what I was looking at, but the instinct was not just to get a better description, but to actually like open it up and have different touchstones or, or ways to engage with instinct. That wasn't just, is this, is this more me or is this less me? and so i came up with instead of just being like a sexual type is like this i looked at what is a sexual drive or what is self-pressed drive what is the social drive and their drives to meet specific biological and emotional needs and so those are the instinctual needs and that's what like when you're identified with your dominant instinct you're identified with these specific needs as being more related to your psychological survival so Mm -hmm. uh it's like you're the survival of your self-concept and self-image um, and then in addition, I thought I, as a sexual type, uh, would go into situations and I would apply a sexual quality of energy to like a social situation and I would alienate people in that way. Mm-hmm. And I noticed like, you know, you have a friend who is like a social type and is sexual blind and they go on a date and they just stay in the friend zone. And you're like, what the fuck's happening, right? And your friend's like, I, you know, what if I try this? What if I say this? And the whole thing doesn't work to like sort of adjust behavior because it's like the vibe is off. Yeah. And I was like, what do, what do I do as a sexual type that I can bring to them? And so I started realizing that we all have qualities of attention and energy and psychological boundaries we employ when we're trying to meet our instinctual needs. And so as a sexual type, there's a certain quality of energy and attention I use to meet my sexual needs. but as a sexual type, I get locked into that quality of energy and attention. And I try to do that with myself, present my social needs, and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as a sexual type, I sometimes overdo these, what I call, I'm calling them the instinctual approaches because they're how we approach our instinctual needs. So I, I will overdo some of these all the time and underdo some of my self-pres ones. And I really underdo my social ones. So it's like they're qualities of attention and energy. So they're sort of hard to talk about. Uh, and so I do my best in the book, but I think that like in workshops and stuff like that, they could be really, really useful because they're about engaging the instincts from sensation and from the body Yes. rather than as some abstract words on a page. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think for example, if those of us, those people who've heard of us talk about the collage exercise, because that's like a sensation exercise. And, um, for example, when you were talking about, uh, when you were on here with Alexandra and you were talking about how you see her as so distinct. And um, the thing about the sexual lens is that we could collect the same group of images and like 50 images and have a different group of uh, different, various different types of people looking at those 50 images. So a sexual type or someone who has sexual understacking would be fixated on the thing that hooks like yes. it could be something unexpected. We could look at the same image, but the sexual type is going to be looking at the thing 
that uh, is magnetic about it. And right. so we could look at the same object and um, with the different lenses. So we would all pick out different things. And so maybe someone who's sexual blind is minimizing the aspects of their personality and their person that is magnetic. And right. um, so what is and like what I experienced myself as a sexual type is that um, I'm overemphasizing the aspects of my personality that hook me that I think it's not like I'm consciously saying, oh, this is going to hook other people. Right. I'm, I'm only seeing the part that is magnetic. And so everyone is doing overdoing their instincts, even though they have those qualities in them, or maybe we're looking at the same thing. We're just fixating on different parts of it. Right, right. Yeah, I have a, I've a, oh, I put a lot of emphasis on integrating and working with the blind spot. And like I talk about in the book that as a social blind, people would tell me like, go, uh, go to parties and uh, call your friends more, which I'm, I'm never going to do. Uh, and I, I had an experience that I think I've talked about in the pod before where I was like trying to get on the train and this girl starts talking to me and I was like, why the fuck is she talking to me? And we end up smushed on a, on a bus together and I'm talking with her and I'm noticing how my body is responding to like this social interaction. And it gave me this whole awareness of, man, like I don't open my boundaries to anybody mm -hmm. and how I was really enjoying this conversation. And she was like cute, but I wasn't into her. You know, it was just like a, it wasn't, there wasn't a sexual element to it. It was like, it was a really nice social thing. And I had to be almost like, almost like fucking smushed into her body to like feel her impact on me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I started realizing like, started like, I'm in the Gurdjieff work and we work with sensation a lot. And I started realizing like how, tight and compact and like kind of piercing my my boundaries are usually kept mm -hmm. and I started learning how to relax them consciously and what that would mean and I started noticing like my social type friends who would have uh, you know one of the approaches I call availability and and I'd see how they were way over available they were like way too open oh I just found a spelling error okay in my book <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like modifying the whole thing um damn it that was uh, really funny <laughs> but uh yeah so yeah like i would see that they'd almost be locked into being too available and open sometimes and it'd be mm -hmm. like why can't you close it why can't you contain it why can't you build the energy you know if like i had a friend a social type i was giving uh dating and like he was he was like sending me screenshots of his like tinder or whatever like he's like what do i say now what do i do now <laughs> She, the girl would say make a joke or something and it was like his quality of response was like as if she was throwing him a ball and he was like picking up the ball and throwing it back and it was like <laughs> it was like a nice gentle game of volleyball uh -huh. and i was like you got to have some something piercing yes. you got to pierce underneath that you got to get underneath that like she tosses you the ball and it's like you, you're like i'm friendly and then you can pierce where it's like there's a little bit of energy there's some tension and is the tension going to go like pot, like attraction or repulsion. And you got to risk that. So, mm -hmm. you know, how do you feel that in your body? You don't just tell them like, oh, do this. Like, how does the person who's sexual blind feel that in their body? How does the social blind feel social instinct in their body? How does self-preservation blind feel self-present in their body? Because you have to work with the instinct you've already got. So that's one of the things in the book is how do you uh, integrate or raise, what, what would you call it, the, the blind spot? Yeah, I, I call it integrating the blind spot and yeah. yeah, like how to do that with these approaches that I've identified and I have like a bunch of breath work stuff in there and sensation work stuff. And then I've got, uh, I actually really like uh, my, my type descriptions, just like my, my overall. Oh yeah. So, so I talk about the nine types, but I don't, 
I, I like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's important. Yeah, it was I, like because I just reread the book because I was like, "Where's all the errors?" and uh, and I was like, "Hey, not bad." <laughs> no, your type descriptions are fucking solid. Thanks. I mean, the you did. I, I'm aware of how much work you did, how many revisions of the sexual eight descriptions that I've seen. So I know yeah. that you put in a lot of fucking work on those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you. But yeah, this is a. Uh, is this the first instinct book that has anything on seriously integrating the blind spot, like an actual practice? So. Yeah, that's yeah. it's got to be. It's gotta that's be. huge. I honestly think it's the first instinct book that has what sexual instinct actually is. In yes. It. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the first one that really takes like uncovering what instinct is seriously, because like, and it's not just oh here are these modifications and here they are. Yeah. Um, like I do a lot of unpacking what instinct actually is and like the way it runs people and how you know all this kind of shit so i go into like i did a lot of study on like biology and anthropology and evolutionary psychology which i know people you know some of that stuff is shitty but some of that's pretty good and like it blew my mind because i think we we speak a lot on this pod about how working with the enneagram shows you what the body heart and mind are instead of what we think they are and instinct and human nature and pre-civil, you know, pre-agrarian civilization or whatever you want to call it, pre-agrarian lifestyle of human beings is far fucking different than our little cultural ideas are. Mm-hmm. And so, like, some of the shit, like, there's a lot of shit that doesn't really make sense uh, about human sexuality and human social instincts and how they work together. It doesn't really make sense unless you understand, uh, like like that monogamy is a recent innovation and how human sexual instincts worked back then, you know? Yeah. I think people are really going to appreciate that aspect of your book because you've done a lot of research on the biological underpinnings of all this stuff. And so who else has done that kind of work? I was going to say, who else has written a book based on actual research? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Literally no one. And and also like, uh, yeah, because I'm just plugging the book, I guess right now. Uh, Yeah. I put a lot that of work. That is what in- you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah that yes. one it is. Yeah, it's happening. It's all happening. <laughs> yeah. You are happening in now. this experience. <laughs> um, I'm. I do. I put a lot of into the spirituality aspect, like yes. and, and like what that means in a in an inner work point of view. Not just like I don't give a shit about like oh, when do you, what what to believe, but it's all about <laughs> like um, you know, the the final chapter especially is like what now now that you know all this shit like what's the what's the practice and, you know it's not it's not long because it's not my job to like uh, I'm not like a good representative of like deep deep spiritual work but I think it's enough that it's I think it'll be it's a little like counterintuitive but I think it's like actually going to be very helpful to people that want to take like that that will read this book who have an some kind of spiritual foundation and then want to go to other deeper material. I feel like it's a good uh, lead in from from this kind of psychological work into spiritual work that I think it's sort of like I did all the spiritual study or whatever and stuff. And then it was sort of like coming back to, oh, what was all that? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what was I doing? What was that work supposed to be? And so I feel like this would be a good orientation for some people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Is it is it also a good orientation then for you to write the second book? You know what I mean? That goes into deeper stuff around, I don't know, spiritual practice or something with that baseline of the first book. Is it something like that? 
Yeah, it's like I, I wrote enough for maybe like three books originally. It was way, way, way too long. And then um, I'm in a, yeah, now I'm in a kind of a spiritual crisis where I'm like, you know, kind of getting my footing again of like what the, like, like what is the work really? And uh, I'm kind of reevaluating like, like what I can communicate about it that's meaningful and necessary and what is just things I think are interesting. And so I feel like it's going to cook for a little while longer, uh, but it's, it's like the pieces are there. My next book I want to do is either one like getting into object relations with all, with all y'all, or um, I want to do an introduction to the Enneagram book that's going to be, and hopefully it'll be like, it'll be introductory, but still deep and Uh and a kind of like a go-to book for people rather than like, Oh yeah. All, you know, like, like all the stuff that we complain about with even just the basics, like I want that to be done, but I also want it to be funny Yeah, (laughs) because I want to make fun of the types. Yeah. Like a wisdom of the Enneagram replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Actually worth reading and funny. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a title already that I've told Mm y'all that I don't want to tell publicly because as soon as I told somebody publicly, he was like, yeah, I was, I think I'm going to do a book like that. Oh, I know who that somebody (laughs) might be. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So it'll be hopefully a little more provocative and I don't know if my writing style can translate humor wise, but we'll see. It'd be fun. I mean, that book needs to exist. Uh, just it really a, does. a basic Enneagram book that doesn't suck. That's actually accurate, but fun to read. Well, there's like a, there's a book, uh, that I don't want to shit talk by naming it, but I know I can, I just don't want to right now, but it's like, it's like the Enneagram, but using cuss words. And it's like, Oh, oh God. Yeah. Oh God. It's, and it's just it's like, cool. <laughs> it's got yeah. pastor vibes. Yeah, and it's kind of got like uh, it does definitely has that, and it's got like um, I think merchandise related to it that's like co-opting like phrases from Black Twitter. You know? Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> oh God! Oh, no. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I want to find like one of these mugs or something. Anyway, it's like that stuff. We just don't need it. We don't need that stuff. So. Well, somebody made a meme about like millennial authors because a lot of like new york times best-selling books are by millennials like the book the book how to not give a fuck and there are all these curse words and all the titles of millennial books like that made it big and oh just, yeah that's yeah. fucking hilarious that's just terrible yeah there's just, yeah just to there's... watch our our generation become a joke <laughs> <laughs> totally it's like uh work your ass off you know these kind of like titles right. it's like <laughs> We don't care. We're not corporate. And then Gen Z is just here, yeah. like, no, actually burn it down. Learning how to, <laughs> learning how not to give a fuck. You right. Know, be the title of the book. And it's like, shut the fuck up. There's one that's unfuck yourself. Yeah. yeah it's like, kind all of right. Um, have you thought about putting your book on Audible? Uh, yeah, I have to figure out how to do that. Okay. I, I might oh, look you know, into that for you. You know, I was thinking maybe I could do for a, like a, a bonus episode is just like record a little bit of me reading yes. from one of the chapters. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. You, you oh, mm, I was going to say that would be a cool like Patreon thing if someone wanted to pay for it or something. Yeah, maybe maybe have on like my website some shit that like I have a lot of stuff that I couldn't put in the book. Like I have type uh, descriptions for all the stackings that I couldn't put in there. Oh, that would be cool. That I want to make maybe into like a little mini book or something, you know, these kind of deals. So do we want to look at any parts of that uh, article just to tease people's beaks a little bit with why they should go check it out? 
Yeah, what did, did anything, did you guys read it? Yeah, I, I mean, read my part. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I we read could a just, few of them. Yeah. We could just go over each of our type combinations and maybe because we did that for the Beatrice Chestnut <laughs> countertype <laughs> sucks. So we might as well like hit a couple of them and, and talk about how, why it's better than anything else we've seen. So it's not the full description, but it's at least something to talk about to get people wanting to read this fucking article. Yeah. So do you guys want to just start with sexual eight? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure one of the things uh I, yeah so i want to read like before each little section on the article i have like kind of an overview of of the type so type eight in type eight the essential quality of power collapses into the passion of lust the drive to experience the immediacy and fullness of the moment leads to chronic exertion and forcing when unable to receive impressions of essence thus type eight applies force when trying to meet the needs of the dominant instinct so sexual eight you know, again, these are longer in the book, but sexual eight can be excessively forceful in capturing the interest of the object of their desire. They put a great deal of effort toward amplifying their impact on the object of desire from the assumption that fully capturing the beloved's attention in this way will ensure that attraction is on their terms. While self-preservation aids have very solid boundaries and social aids tend to hold a strong social field, sexual aids have a more permeable boundary because of the sexual drive's responsiveness to chemistry and disposition of relenting to attraction. It gives the usual charisma of eights a hint of self-consciousness and adds receptivity to chemistry, which is shared with only a select few. As much as sexual eights want to hook somebody, a fear of rejection or being controlled by their own desire can motivate this instinctual type to provocatively invite rejection or disinterest or to preemptively end relationships in order to make sure the rejection is under their control. Sexual eights avoid feeling rejection or a lack of reciprocated attraction on the basis of traits and qualities close to their hearts. So they often make a big display of being too much to handle, an excuse with, with which they can easily write off their failure to gain the interest they're looking for. When in a relationship, sexual eights have a propensity to ongoingly provoke reactions from a partner in order to feel connected in a place of authentic relating. Um, control, domination, possessiveness, entitlement, and testing their romantic interests, time, and emotional and physical tolerances are common in transsexual eights. Yeah, this is this is the best thing available out there for sexual eight. And the thing that stands out the most to me is it's you know it's unconscious drive because you don't necessarily it's not like I'm everything I'm doing is oh this is for the object of my desire, but. Right. It's kind of like um, as an eight, you're always looking to um, experience a powerful forces in whatever it is you're doing. So I'm only paying attention to the aspects of things that can have a huge impact on me and can create these large shifts. And so inevitably, I end up creating large shifts around me. And, mm-hmm. you know, so let's look at the Enneagram and, and the, you know, how much I've been interested in the Enneagram. So the Enneagram being something that I'm hooked by. The work that I'm doing with the Enneagram is sort of like uh, trying to find aspects of the Enneagram that can amplify a certain impact on anyone who engages in what I'm doing. And so getting people riled up and really upset or getting people really hooked um, into something about an aspect of the Enneagram is kind of what I'm unconsciously going for. So inevitably that has created a universe for us that attracts a certain kind of people. And we piss off a lot of people. <laughs> and that is part of the plan, you know, just invite rejection because then that means that only a certain type of person makes it through. And that's inevitably without my planning to how I met Beth, my current partner, she was pulled in by what we did. And, 
um, went through the most elaborate hazing process to get to me. (laughs) (laughs) For real. (laughs) And didn't flinch. And that's, and we're together. So you can look at uh, this um, description of sexual aid, um, really provoking large impact on people to hook something into a, a chemistry as uh, that's basically what I've done with my life. Yeah. And like, you know, part of when David, you were asking earlier about what was like my methodology of these, you know, I like, I really kept in mind the object relations as well. So like, how is this sexual rejection type working? And so, you know, Emika, uh, like knowing you, like how much, I mean, it's kind of like a, just a ongoing joke about how, um, you know, how hard to handle you are and how big an energy and how provocative and how like, you know, I love you, but obnoxious, you know, and like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, and how much force you've got. And it's like, um, on one hand, that's just part of being an eight, but on the other hand, there's a lot there. That's like, I'm going to just throw hell at you. And are you still going to be here for me? Yes. And how, you know, like the deep sensitivity in there, are the the people I'm directing my energy toward, whether it's sexual, social, or you know the foundation self preservation? It's like, are those things going to be able to handle me? Are they going to be there? And I guess so. I got to fucking test it. I got to mm-hmm. fucking provoke it. Oh. And especially like you know, I've seen I've I've been there to witness uh, your heartbreaks, and I've I have you know other another sexual aid in my life, and you know how. Um, I just the way that the heartbreak is registered and the grief of heartbreak is registered and, and where it hit, what level it hits at. Cause it's not always like an emotional feeling at first, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there, but there's this like very deep um, rejection place of like, like you can feel like the heart kind of closed with iron, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And how much of like, I don't want to be doing that, but I have to, because nothing mm-hmm. can take my energy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's an aspect of like self blame in there of like, why didn't I see this coming? Very subtly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I wanted to capture all that. And like, but, you know, also like a lot of sexual aids are just like descriptions from what I recall are just like, they're really wow. intense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what it is. I think, you know, one of the things it's not, it's not there in this short excerpt of the full description, but, you know, if, a sexual aid is probably going to be the of the three social and self-pres the one that you would think look the least eightish just because mm-hmm. the sexual drive is not to say that i mean there are some fucking sexual uh very intense sexual aids um but all things being equal the energy because it is about chemistry can come across a lot softer mm-hmm. but i mean don't get it twisted whenever you get start hitting on the fucking area of um sensitivity which would be like some attraction zone that the sexual aid is identified with you're you're gonna get the full eight you know nightmare so (laughs) 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 you know it's just just more on a day-to-day basis that your self-present social are more activated so there's there's a narrow thing that sexual eight you know for me for example like i'm 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 pretty easy going about a lot of things, but I'm very fucking serious about the Enneagram. I'm very fucking serious about uh, sort of my creative projects and I'm very fucking serious about my partner or, mm-hmm. you know, things that, so it might seem like a smaller world compared to like a social eight who might have different 
uh, more sensitivity, more areas of sensitivity, and maybe a self-present. We might be focused on a certain lifestyle or, or business, but it's it's the same level of ruthlessness about that. Um, right. So a lot of times people don't right. know how to fuck with me because it's like, well, they they're not really tapping into the area that I give a fuck about. But it's like, you know, it's it's the same level of ruthlessness, but in the, in, the, in whatever that sexual arena might be or that that attraction arena might be exactly exactly what i try to get with the descriptions is really the sense of how we're trying to get god you know mm-hmm. and i'm using god in you know whatever very loose sense but the divine right. or soul or whatever you want to call it even if you don't have any spiritual so to speak beliefs like this sense of the most important thing that everything is about is like I'm trying to extract that through my dominant instinct. And so, uh, you know, all like the core of our suffering comes from that because we really feel like we're constantly uh, deprived of like the thing closest to our hearts. And so, you know, and, and that we have no guarantee. Like one of the things about instinct is that it's the needs are constantly renewing. Like they're, they're never fully satiated. Yeah. And so it's sort of like you're always having to earn God back, even if you get a taste and you having to secure like, so if you're like, you know, with self-pres hell that we just did, it's like, you're never coasting. Mm-hmm. You're never get to paradise in the garden of Eden. And you're never just like, oh, here's all the fruit I want to eat. And here's the comfortable things. And here's the, I don't have to work anymore. You know, it's like, it's constantly, entropy is constantly happening. And same thing with sexual, same thing with social. So it's like, God is always slipping out of your fingers in this horrifying way. And I wanted to get a little bit of that in each of these. And it, it's also like God is there's, it's kind of takes me to the the classic split between uh, religiosity and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so like, and so the neurotic um, manifestations of the instinct and the personality, it's a kind of um, really stiff, um, religion right with a bunch of rules right the super mm-hmm. ego mm-hmm. and so forth uh forms a really specific um set of laws internally versus you know ideally a more uh spiritual direction that would loosen up and give freedom to all of that exactly that. right yeah i feel like a lot of the religion stuff is like talking yourself that you're still going to get god even if you don't have god with you you know what i mean like I'm right. still going to get like at the end of this, I'm going to get what I need. So I'm going to just like sort of clamp down now. Right. Well, and that's also what, I mean, it's the personality is thinking it's going to get God by following these certain rules. Right. And, it, right. and it's a, yeah, it's a dead end. Yeah. Nothing cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, like from the perspective of sexual aid, it's just kind of like always it's, it's a lie, but there's always a sense that there is so much more room to expand. I'm not doing enough. I'm not, you know, in terms of the hook, the magnetic, the magnetism that, you know, we're creating with the group or whatever else we're doing. There's always a sense that there's so much more further to go uh, in terms of how much of a shift we can fucking uh, provoke people with and shit like that. That's, what my inner message is always saying it's like you haven't done you haven't done shit keep going <laughs> right right <laughs> right um do you want to do self-prez nine sure all right um so nine in type nine the essential quality of harmony collapses into the passion of sloth 
The longing to experience the coherent, syncretic quality of the present leads to self-fragmentation and dissociation. Therefore, type nines use instinctual resources to self-forget, either by distracting themselves from individuating or using instinctual resources as a means to self-narcotize, failing to develop themselves beyond the minimum needed to maintain instinctual needs. And I think that's really important how sloth is like, I'm going to just do the minimum self-development mm-hmm. to, be, to get my instinctual needs met. Like the, like that's like the self-neglect is like, all right, I'm just sort of getting my needs met in a paltry way. Like not even the best I could get met at, like just, just, just a basic level. And I kind of settle for this and yeah. I don't have to develop me beyond that. Um, so self-preservation nine, self-pres nines are looking to experience essential harmony through their lifestyle and interests. Self-preservation nines are the most independent style of nine. They typically they will typically seek out lifestyles that provide enough independence that they don't have to be answerable to or at the whims of other people's agendas. This can mean keeping them in a kind of outward-focused busyness or in an immobile slump that distracts them from fully seeing their present circumstances. There's a way in which they can, they can also settle, not quite going for what they really want to the extent that they could, and instead contenting themselves with lifestyle and desires that don't require them to reach too far outside a limited comfort zone. They may view getting on by a little as humble or even virtuous, and they may seek to keep their world small. Self-preservation nines are stubbornly entrenched in their habits and routines. They put a great deal of energy into making sure too much isn't demanded from them. Despite a reputation for being self-effacing low-key, when certain boundaries are infringed on or demands are placed on them, they can react with intense aggression. Young self-preservation nines are prone to having difficult time knowing what, what path or direction they want to take through adulthood and they will delay in choosing something definite for a great period of time. Uh, They can be late bloomers in all areas of life, taking a long time to complete their studies or acquire certain skills. Following a path laid out to them by others or sticking with an unrewarding job while making sure to look busy are strategies putting on a performance to parents and loved ones, appearing to be proactively reaching for a goal without taking any real steps. The struggle here is not that self-preservation nine zone of interest or talents, they often easily give up on themselves. Ironically, uh, self-preservation nines have some of the greatest potential for endurance of the nine types. So once they have an aim, they can really get their energy behind. They typically achieve that aim and are not easily dissuaded or taken off track. The difficulty in, comes in really pulling their energy out of distractions into something that will enliven and challenge them. Hmm. I don't recognize any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's all spot on i don't know how to where to dive in and go deeper with it but uh yeah that's my story right there i mean it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear um hmm. one thing i wanted to communicate in this was that you know what what i see so many self-preservation nine descriptions doing is just being like they like to eat candy and just be chill right and you know Mashed like potatoes Right. And like the, the nines, uh, you know, self-pres nines can be really fucking aggressive. And yeah, I wanted to put that absolutely. in there. And, you know, that like, I think most, I think the majority of like professional athletes are self-pres nines. Right. And A lot of them. Yeah. yeah, like just this, like how much, how much, even if they can be very soft on the outside, how much it's like fuck off world, you know, like mm-hmm. fuck okay. off world is like really uh, the energy underneath that. Well, yeah, there's a thing with, um, well, nine is so permeable and self-pres is so much a boundary. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in some sense, you're, I've, I've known a couple of nines, uh, self-pres nines that describe really clearly 
remembering a time in childhood when they made a decision to, to stop or to at least have it as a function to um, put up a wall, to put mm -hmm. up a self-pres wall um, because they were taking in so much, absorbing so much of other people's energies and things like like they were going up, uh, getting into fist fights and stuff with bullies because they would they would take in, you know, uh, the the person who was being bullied, that energy and want to go fight the bully or or that kind of thing, um, and they were getting into actually a lot of conflicts and fist fights and stuff, and it was just too much, and they just decided at a certain point, I've got to set up this wall or else I'm just not even going to be able to function. I'm just going to be a, a mush. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's a yeah. great point. How like, you know, I, 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 there's so much of the not a four issue is because people, teachers and authors like really trivialize the, the inner struggle of nine. And, yeah. you know, they that like, well, how would a nine get into a fight? Because they're conflict avoidant, right? Like yeah, right. getting into a fight coming from this deep sensitivity. Yes. You know, like yeah. all the, all the, all that aggression and sensitivity in one person is like, no wonder nines are insane. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it's partly the thing too, of where um, you're seeing someone else victimized and you're better at absorbing that other person than realizing your own internal state. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, and that's the, that self-dispersive quality of nine, where it's kind of like you're taking in a whole energy field around you, which is, of course includes the people and so forth. Yeah, which can make nines hard to be uh, partners with because they self-forget so much. Yep. You have to remind them that they exist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and remind them of what they even wanted in the first place or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or what their or interests it's just, are. Yeah. It, it's also just really sad. You know, it's yeah, like, oh, you're you're standing up for all these other people, but you're not doing what you want. Yeah. And, and we all see it, but you don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and another thing with with nine, especially self prison nine is like, I think that wall comes up, but they don't know how to ever take it down again. Yep. And yeah. so even though nine is this attachment type that wants contact and relationship and whatever, that that's another obstacle for them to show up. Mm -hmm. is yeah, they put themselves behind their own wall to protect themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, their sense of trying to reconnect to somebody can be through like a thick layer of, you know, some kind of like mashed potato uh, type of <laughs> density. Yeah. You're like, I know that they're behind this mashed potato wall. Like I know they're back there, but it's like, you know, it, it's, it's come up because of the sensitivity. Yeah. And the danger of that wall coming up can be, uh you can feel it when you're speaking with a nine mm -hmm. as well self-pres mm -hmm. nine it's mm -hmm. like uh it's walking on eggshells sometimes that's why a lot of people uh come to the group typing their spouses who are self-pres nines as fives because they mm -hmm. can't read they can't having a hard time reaching them because yeah you know at least my experience of self-pres nines have been um some of the most um self-contained individuals i've ever dealt with just in, in terms of uh at least in the romantic space was like wow this hard to get to just energetically yeah. as, a, <laughs> as a sexual type it's kind of like you can't really pierce through and get to the other side here like it's gonna be impossible to get to this person right there, yeah there's a lot of um 
existing separately that goes on with the self-pres9 what do you mean uh like like they exist in their own realm with you <laughs> the attachment plus the separate you know plus the containment mm-hmm. and it's like Good. there's always this kind of space not always but mm-hmm. a lot of times there's that kind of space where you're just like uh, not quite yeah yeah there's yeah it's also too like um i think some nines have some sense that they are sort of playing around with energies so to speak, and can't and have that as an ability to sort of affect things in in their environment, and mm-hmm. you get a sense that people are wanting something from you, and you're making yourself unclear and vague as a way to be a wall. So it's like it's a weird thing of being the wall is a cloud but somehow the cloud is solid in a way because it's not um because well you just can't tell what's going on behind there and it's mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's not visible and right. is there i might be projecting a bit here but um is there kind of a sense when that happens like if a nine's kind of putting up their cloud wall right um is there kind of a sense of like oh well if you just dug harder you would get there like you mm. you just keep trying keep trying you know, you're almost there kind of thing mm. that well, goes on in a nine well i mean that gets to another idea a deeper thing that I, you know i think part of the line to three for nines and maybe we've said it before at some point in another episode but nines really do want to be really really seen but mm-hmm. they have actually like unconsciously or or um covertly um a really high standard for how well they want you to see them in other yes. words yeah. and it relates to that attachment thing where you're supposed to already know you're supposed to read me entirely and know what i want all the way through and through i want you to see me that much like it's full wow. spotlight from every angle God. right yeah yeah that resonates with uh, now my nine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're all relating here <laughs> yeah you're supposed to be able to read our minds and part of the withdrawal or the aloof is to bring you all towards us so that you will kind of um, focus the camera lens more clearly on us. Right. Mm. I mean, this is all unconscious. Yeah. Right. This is making sense. Yeah. And so, and again, it really relates to that, that line to three, which is just so much about um, in some sense, you know, being recognized as the golden child, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, do we want to? We want to do. Uh... Yeah, let's do self press three. All right. So in type three, the essential quality of value, the precious actualized quality of the moment, of the present moment, collapses into the passion of vanity, self deception, and overvaluation of the ego. Therefore, type three seeks to craft a persona that will have the greatest availability to obtain the most desirable instinctual resources, uh, ability. Excuse me. Self preservation three. Self-preservation threes strive to experience essential value in their accomplishments, lifestyle, and careers. They tend to emphasize efficiency, tangible results, and mastery of specific skills more than sexual and social threes. 
Self-preserved threes are typically very driven and be quite competitive. Although contrary to some stereotypes, not every self-preservation three is wealthy or materially accomplished, as their values may lie elsewhere. Self-preservation threes may opt for a humble lifestyle, yet they may be the most experienced healer in their community or a yoga teacher with the most training and credentials to show for it. As values and capacities change over the course of a lifetime, however, self-preserved threes can struggle with finding a path forward in life that results from their authentic values rather than something they're good at. They may find themselves running off an inner program that they adopted in an extremely young age and therefore find themselves struggling to feel relevant when outer circumstances and cultural views of values change. Likewise, they may avoid experimenting or trying things that they don't think they'd naturally be good at, limiting their options and overall approach to life early on. Their efficiency and achievements can lend itself to a kind of momentum towards goals that can sweep them up without their heart really being in it. They may find themselves following a path that is not aligned with their deeper values and have a hard time finding a path in life that isn't based on their forward-moving energy. Self-preservation threes are prone to workaholism, running themselves into exhaustion and achieving without awareness or concern of the larger context or impact on others. Even though self-preservation is their dominant instinct, people of this type can overdo exercise, physical performance, and work at severe cost to overall health. These activities become another means of achievement, divorced from the original aim of enhancing the body's well-being. That's rude. <laughs> uh, dagger to the heart right there <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah that's pretty spot on i think uh i think the thing that stands out to me the most is the um running off an inner program and mm-hmm. um their efficiency and achievement can lend themselves to a kind of momentum towards goals that can sweep them up without their heart really being in it that that is like a constant struggle with me because if I'm good at something, I'm really good at it. And people will be like, oh my gosh, you should do that. Right. You should yeah. make money doing that. You should do that. And it's like, okay. Mm. Um, and then I wake up three years later and go, no, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why, like, that's why there's a lot of, I'm kind of letting myself these past like two years kind of sit in like a, I don't know what I want. I'm kind of unhappy with everything place because I feel like I just need to follow what I'm intrigued by and finding what I'm intrigued by is such a process for me. Like it takes like a long time for me to figure out whether it's actually intriguing or whether someone said something nice about me doing it. And now I have internalized that. Amazing. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, right. Just, I feel like right now in my life, I've just gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do what I like. And that's just, you know, and it's like, that's not always leading me to like the life I want to live and like all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, okay, well then we'll pivot to something else I like. And (laughs) there's a lot of just unsureness. Well, I think one thing I, that like sort of in, reflecting on self-pres three i thought was interesting and you know like i have a social self-pres three sister so i was drawing on some of her but that's sort of the reflection of nine in terms of momentum mm-hmm. like I, I can see where my sister's gotten feedback on something and then she just thinks like oh i'm really good at this and just goes for it and there's not always the checking in. I'm like, do I really want to put my time and energy into this thing for myself? Or yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like it's it's kind of the inertia of of sloth, but in a three space. Yeah, I think um, allowing myself to uh, time to check in has mm-hmm. been really has been a really important shift 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I used to just make decisions and be like, all right, this is what we're doing now. Bye. Because I had like a sense of urgency. And now I don't really have that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm allowing myself to just kind of take my time. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to emphasize in this description, well, well, so I just remember a lot of my first impressions of the type and instant combinations based on what I now recognize as like really dumb, like bourgeois middle class, uh, <laughs> like stereotypes of like, you know, like people would describe self press threes as like, you know, they're the type that has like the biggest expensive house and they have a oh, big watch God. and they want to show it off. And it's <laughs> and like, they have the really nice suit. And, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yep. like very materialistic and, and all stuff. And it's like, maybe some of them are, but that's not what defines that type, you know? Mm-hmm. And, that's like a definitely like a, a like boomer. A, I don't, boomer a, yeah. yeah, yeah. White boomer thing. <laughs> yes. And, Everybody's uh, got enough money to 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 get custom made suits. That's right. right. In a big house if they want it. <laughs> and yeah, and so like um I recognize that like I have a body worker that I see, and I'm pretty sure she's a self-pressed three. And she's not rich, uh, she's not whatever, but she's really good at uh she's just like a fucking expert on the body. You know, like mm. she knows her shit and she knows how to work with the body and she's very accomplished with certifications and she's got the skills to back it up and she's always learning more. And I see the way she promotes herself too. She's very offering education and stuff of this. And it's not like, it doesn't, it's not like all about her or something, but she's just like, she's the fucking best at what she does. And she's the best at like taking care of the body and knowing how to take care of other people's bodies. And her skills are really just top tier and professional. And, and I was like, oh, wow, the whole fucking dumb shit stereotype of like Wall Street guy is not doesn't apply to this woman, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Joseph, oh, friend yeah. Alisa, who was on the, this pod when we did the episode about threes, she's a um, pole dance teacher, instructor. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of self-pressed threes or social last cell press threes who end up in that world because it is very skill-based and there's an element of performance and display there. Um, but yeah, I mean, just people, at least these older descriptions kind of default to uninteresting stock characters mm-hmm. that people can't relate to. I mean, yeah, they're kind of cartoony. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're getting sexual four. So for everybody's favorite type, everybody's yeah. favorite type. Everybody online is a sexual four. <laughs> Anybody who has a computer. Anybody has a computer. Yeah, every, all computer owners are sexual. They're, they're a sexual four wing five, four five yeah. eight. Exactly. Five eight. It's yeah. It is. I remember. Like I, I think I've mentioned this on here before, but. Uh, when I was 18 and learned the Enneagram or whatever, and I went online, I was like, I'm a sexual four on a, on some forum. And it was the, the Risa Hudson boards. And everyone was like, no, you're fucking not. Because you know, <laughs> right, everybody. Every, everybody thinks they are. I didn't have any idea that there was like, I was like, why the fuck would anybody think they're this, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and now when you see people posting online, like I'm a sexual four and you like click on their profile, they're like, standing in front of their beige white family like, <laughs> you know, on a beach like as a background photo of their yeah. profile smiling <laughs> all their shirts match <laughs> right yeah. khaki um, pants right all right if you dig deep enough i have one of those on my facebook page <laughs> i'm gonna find so, it. somebody put like i think you were talking arguing with somebody who had the the american flag in their profile picture and said they were sexual for it it was like whoa whoa right they, uh, like, I can be patriotic and be a sexual four. 
No, 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 no you, you can't. <laughs> it's you literally impossible. <laughs> I think she said she was like working for the military or something. Oh, like, absolutely oh, not. I was like, you're just digging your grave with every <laughs> comment. <laughs> so, all right. So, section four. In four, the essential quality of depth, the mysterious bottomless quality of presence, collapses into envy, chronic disappointment, and a reaction to the inadequacy of the personality. Um, inadequate as a source of identity, to be clear. Um, Four seek instinctual resources, which they hope can meet their longing for depth while reacting to the inability of these resources to provide the depth they seek. <laughs> so I got the frustration there. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual four. Sexual four is long to experience essential depth in relationships, creativity, and intense experiences. They're prone to demonstrating their creativity and depth as a means to entice and sexually attract, and they can fetishize emotional, intellectual, or spiritual depth, doing it with an erotic mystique and deep contempt for the mundane. Both four and the sexual drive emphasize characteristics that distinguish oneself from others. Compounded sexual force cultivate identities that are hyper-specific and elaborate. This hyper-specificity aims to be attractive to a few and repel those deemed too banal to appreciate their unique flavor. They want to be uninhibited in pursuing their attractions. They are typically resistant to structure, confining jobs, and adhering to routines. There's often a struggle to sustain themselves practically. Envy leads to chronic doubts about their attractiveness and their ability to keep those they wish to attract interest in them. Hypersensitivity to their, their partner's perceived level of attraction generates great distress if there are any lulls or mellow periods. So sexual force is going to be sexually competitive. They feel they cannot be magnetic enough, and therefore they're always trying to shore up their displays of talents while never feeling adequate in attraction and never feeling adequate. They may feel the need to be the greatest love of a partner of, of the partner they're with, or at least the most impactful and unique one. Envy also creates excessive focus on perceived personal defects, which a four will inevitably find, that disqualifies them from having and keeping the person they want. This can lead sexual fours t- to testing their partners and desired objects in various ways, possessiveness, suspicion, and causing fights to feel entangled. They're prone to acting out stormy swings between idealization and disillusionment, extremes of love and hatred. Sexual force can play a pattern of frustration with their loved ones, waiting for their loved ones to be everything for them and rejecting them when their partner is unable to meet their unrealistically high expectations. Disintegrating sexual force are prone to self-harm, emotional abusiveness, and physical violence toward themselves and their partners, acting out intense hatred and possessiveness toward their partners and adopting a reckless burn-it-all-down attitude. Damn. So, yeah. Talking shit about yourself in this one, huh? <laughs> Alexandra, uh, looking at me and just rolled her eyes, shook her, shaking her head. <laughs> that sound accurate? <laughs> she said, that's so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, the frustration bit there, playing out a pattern of frustration with their loved ones, is um, that's really important. And uh, the disdain, deep contempt for the mundane, I like that phrase, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be really upset. Like a lot of the sexual, you know, not a fours are going to read this and be like, this is pathological. <laughs> You'd you think, but uh, we were, Alexander and I were looking at, like posted some of these in some of the Facebook groups and Alexander said something like, look, there's, there's still attachment types attaching to the description. Like, yep. Like being <laughs> yep. like, that's definitely me. Checks on all the boxes. You know, that's like these kind of very like, is it you, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't see how an attachment type could actually read oh, this description. Oh, they could. And yeah. say that they have deep contempt for the mundane. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're adapting. They adapt to anything. Yeah. 
<laughs> Adapting to a description. See, the way they, I, I believe they would go about that is they would say, well, I find, I find beauty in everything, so nothing's mundane. Yeah, oh. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the, the Delta variant of adaptation. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Attachment. <laughs> Attachment to Delta variant. Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> uh, I've been loving those, uh, um, my planter fall uh, Delta variant memes. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my uh, plans for fall. Oh, okay. I just now got what you said. My plans for fall. I was... <laughs> Thinking of ways to adapt that and being like, my plants are the anti-gram and then big hormone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my plans for deep contempt. Jake Ham and I. So, yeah, that's uh, it, 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 any of these four descriptions, any of them sound off or anything no. like that? No, they sound great. Not at all. Literally no, not at all. No, my friend that I'm always mentioning is sexual for and the competition thing was a big deal with being around him for 30 years yeah i was just you know <laughs> just being a nine you know just like dude why are you competing just constantly with um women that are you know with me for women that are either my chick or you thinking that i'm putting the moves on your girl or the woman that we just drove up to the drive through and she offered us something and did she say it to me or was she saying it to him? Right. You know what I mean? Just, just constantly, just, I mean, constantly, it just drove me insane. Uh, just competition after competition. Uh, and yeah, just, oh man, what, a, it was just this whole big thing that was just in the way all the time of just, can't we just chill out? <laughs> no chill. Yeah. No chill. Yeah. Like, like, so, like, there, a lot of that is obviously insecurity, but it's an insecurity about like, if me and this person are going to reach the depth that I need, you yeah. know, it's like, it's not like, oh, I'm looking for a partner in a casual way that's like, we're going to have a good time together. And like, you know, it's sort of like really sweet when you find somebody that you care about. It's like, like we need to be at the depth of our souls to get, you know, like this. There is this, no having a good time. <laughs> no, we need to be able to drink each other's blood and get, yeah, like and 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 be drunk off of it. You know what I mean? Lots of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a wet blanket. <laughs> yeah. So this is obviously the type that takes uh, photos of their beige family in khaki pants on the beach. Uh -huh. yes. It's interesting to think about. Uh, um, you know, looking at these descriptions, and I'm sure people will do this and look at their trifix, and you look at your core type, and then look at the two secondary fixes to see in mm -hmm. what, yeah, what, yeah, like in what. Because for me, as a sexual aid, I'm saying that I'm saying that a essential power through uh, my through hooking or attraction or magnetism is sort of like creating these inner shifts. Like, I don't right. just want to piss people off, even though that's fun, but I want to piss people off with, like, their own inner nightmares. That's yeah. what I get off of. You're going to be an ontological terrorist. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, if you, uh, like, my hope is that people reading these descriptions, they can see, like, you know, 458, do it. can I uh, resonate with sexual eight? Can I resonate with sexual five? Mm-hmm. And also within one's own type, like 
uh, like I resonate with the social and self-pres fours descriptions. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. like sure. so like I'm social blind. I don't really get into the social instinct as a pervading thing, but I can still see that when I'm in my social instinct, that's operating. And I can mm-hmm. definitely see my self-pres because it's my second instinct. I can see that like I need my lifestyle to be a reflection of my depth and this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So like like anybody that's listening should hopefully be able to find, especially if they're unclear about their type or something that they can go, okay, like I'm a, I think I'm a five. Can I see self-pres five, sexual five and social five? And can I see how much those things happen with me? And can I see my fixes involved with, you know, whatever's going on there? Yeah. And especially with really accurate descriptions, which these are super sharp, I think people can do that. Whereas, you know, with really vague and inaccurate descriptions, people get really lost. But when you have something really sharp, like we were talking about the object relations and it's not getting too specific on like uh, what people do, but sort of the whole structure, I think people can actually use descriptions to type themselves, even though they're not going to accurately do that because that's fucking hard, but you can get a lot closer than otherwise. Right. And um, it's just seeing how much of our the thing we think to be us is carved out by the ego and how much it's just operating. And, um, you know, I, and, and eventually like we've talked about getting specific with tri type, com- tri fix combinations mm-hmm. of, uh, essence qualities. Yeah. And like some of this, like mm-hmm. if this is how we distort essence, it's like kind of like, um, uh, I always think about walking backwards into like essence. Cause it's like, you can't like put a, you can't grip essence. It's, it's, mm ephemeral right it's it's not a tangible thing but it's sort of like you learn how to see more and more and more of the bars of your personality and so you start to like step backwards you can't see what you're stepping into but you can know you're stepping away from the matrix Mm. and um i think i think hopefully it'll give people a sense of of essence in contrast to all the stuff that's not essence if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, people should go check out this article. It's going to be in the um, episode description all over the web, all over the web, hopefully. And look for uh, the book. Yeah. yeah. Read yeah. that book. We'll keep, you- uh, keep doing book shit maybe as we build yeah. for this. Is that cool? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Totally. I think that's a great idea. Um, I also want to shout out there. Uh, I have, I do still do Enneagram coaching with people and a lot of my, I've had a couple long-term clients that are doing more like uh, once every two weeks now because it's sort of, they're in a good place. Uh, so I've got a lot of spots open. So for listeners that, uh, want to do some inner work or want to use their Enneagram type more deeply, uh, hit me up. All right. Cool. cool. All right, guys. Later. See ya. Bye. Bye.